You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. Hello, this is the Journey Tell Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Zanotti. I believe life is about the journey, not the destination, to find the journey in every step of the road. The highs and the lows, the twists and turns, the ups and downs, it's in that. It's in those moments that makes life so beautiful. Our guest today has a journey of his own. Trevor Romaine is a best-selling author, award-winning illustrator, and a sought-after motivational speaker. His books have sold more than a million copies worldwide and have been published in 22 different languages, connecting with kids in a disconnected world and go read are his latest books. Please welcome Trevor to the show. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. I must say, I just absolutely love your background. Well, thank you very much. Uh, That's actually what it's like inside my head. I, I live in a cartoon world and, um, and it just uh, it makes life very fun. So I, I like to share my, my little world with people. So that's what's happening behind me. Well, take us into your world. Can you tell us a bit kind of um, how you kind of got it? How did you start writing? Um, how did that begin for you? I always, so here's an interesting thing. I am uh, dyslexic and I struggle with ADD my whole life. I'm just one of these people who, the pinball machine in my head is, is, is sort of what it sounds like in there. Now, when I was a little boy, my second grade teacher uh, used to read to us on Friday afternoons. Uh, this is in South Africa where I grew up. And so she'd lock the classroom door and she would, uh, she would read to us and told us that she wasn't allowed to do that. So don't tell anybody. And of course, she was just making it more intriguing for us. And she'd read to us from this particular book. And then when she packed up and everybody went home, I would sort of wander over to her desk and pick up the book and and wonder how such an amazing story could come out of something that I couldn't read or see. Yeah. It was like, how did that whole story come out of this? And I became fascinated and obsessed with books. And I thought to myself right there and then, and one day I want to make stories as cool as that because it was so much fun to hear them and then later on to read them. So really, that's what triggered me when I was a little boy. And it was difficult because I couldn't spell very well. I still don't spell. So spell checker is my friend. Yeah. Uh, But sort of that's how the whole thing started was my response to a great story made me feel good. And I'm like, I want other people to feel that way about my stories. That's how it all started. So do you find yourself, I'm a writer too. So do you write all the time? I mean, do you just, do you, do you take out the time to write at all times or is it, um, how, how, what is the writing process actually like for you? Well, in my mind, I'm writing all the time. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a runner. I'm a, I run a lot. Mm-hmm. And while I'm running, I am constantly working on a story, thinking about a new story and then I jot them down on, on pieces of paper. One of the things I've learned over the years, and I've been writing for, oh goodness, what, 40 years now or something, is that uh, I think people set themselves up for failure when they think they have to have a whole block of time to write. Because nobody can say, okay, I'm going to sit down and write for five hours. It's hard and it doesn't feel good. I write just 10, 15 minutes a day, and it's amazing how much, and, and if I'm really having fun, I'll write for an hour, but by just doing small 
incremental pieces of writing. I've helped myself to be able to, to you know, build up an inventory of stuff. Sometimes I don't work on the same book at the same. I can work on two or three books, um, unless it's you know something like a novel or a book of short stories where you need the continuity. But uh, you know, sometimes I'll work on on, on different stuff depending on on what's inspiring me or influenced me at that particular time. Wow, that's interesting. So you can work on multiple different books at one time. You can disconnect yeah. from one and go to the other. Yes, wow. uh, that, that's just one. I think that's where maybe my ADD has been a gift. Yeah, okay. Because, but interestingly enough, what you can do is hyper-focus when you get to a particular thing. So if I'm opening a notebook about a particular short story I'm writing, yeah, I can look at it and get right into that story and then everything else is gone. Mm. I am I am present with what I am doing. And then, you know, maybe half an hour, an hour later, then I, you know, get up and go and have a cup of tea and I will think, wow, you know, I wonder what the characters are doing in my other story. So I'll pop over to them and see what they're doing and continue and can you continue writing. Um, I, I did write a book about growing up in South Africa and I woke, used to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to reach the deadline for that book because I, I would write, you know, from four to, to six in the morning or, and it had illustrations, which I did too. So that became something that for a few months I was very focused on. Uh, but in general, I, I'll mix and match. That's very interesting. Um, for me, writing, I can't do that. I have to literally dive in. So if, when I'm writing, yeah. I usually I tend I do it for a couple of days with others. And I... Um, I have to kind of detach. So that means detaching from my phone and from the, like the outside world to detach into the characters that I'm writing about. So can you give some advice to someone really like myself? What, how do you stay focused to be able to do that, to be able to multitask between multiple different things in the midst of writing and not get um, sidetracked? You know, how, yeah, yeah. How, yeah, how, how, how are you able to do that? Yeah, well, I, I think that... that, that in my case, it's it's a little unique, and, and I really think that is because of, of that's how I've managed my ADD. Okay. I, I believe that if I if I wasn't that way, I might be able to sit, just do one whole thing. But to be you know to be frank, I, I I get bored very easily. Okay. And sometimes I even get bored with with my own work. Yeah. So I have to give it a little break. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. One of my neighbors here is. It's a wonderful, wonderful artist. And what he does, which works very well for him, is he'll work on a painting. And when it gets to a point where he feels like he's stuck, he turns and faces it against the wall. And then he does another one. And he will have three or four of those paintings going at the same time. And then he, after a few days or something, he picks up the one and he can see clearly where he has been. But, you know, that only works for certain people. When you look at guys like Stephen King, who's a prolific writer, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, uh, obviously people love different genres, some people don't like that genre, but that guy is very disciplined. Yeah. And he sits down and he says, okay, I am writing for two hours or three hours, and I'm shutting the door and nobody's gonna bother me. Roald Dahl was like that as well, just right in it. And, um, and, and, and I think the discipline is, is the part to be able to say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do at this time. And I, I find that that, uh, that works for me when I'm, when I'm wanting to exercise because when I wake up in the morning, the last thing in the world I feel like doing is going for a 10K run. Yeah. But I do it. Absolutely. And within 10 minutes, I'm running and I forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it. 
So um, I, I think uh, you know this. Uh, their fourth, uh, uh, I don't know if I want to call them pillars that I rest my my career on in my life really, and, and this might help for somebody who is a writer like yourself. So there, there, there are four things. One is little by little, a little becomes a lot. And that's an old African saying, little by little, a little becomes a lot, because it does. You can't train for a marathon in one day. You can't, uh, love grows, money grows. Unless you hit a lottery, you don't get it in one day. So the same with writing or creating. Little by little, a little becomes a lot. And it's quite interesting how once you start building that, it gets, it grows, it grows quite quickly. Uh, the other one is failure is not permanent. Sometimes we are so afraid to, to put something down or write something or make something that just doesn't, not gonna work, uh, that we don't uh, allow ourselves to do it. But it's not permanent. If we mess it up, we can throw that out and start again or adapt it or do something else. The other one um, is, uh, um, nothing can grow in your comfort zone. Mm. And that's one of the things that I've learned having lived in different countries and worked with terminally ill children, kids in refugee camps, yeah. orphans, that kind of stuff, is, is uh, that um, unless you put yourself out there, um, you're not going to grow anything new. Yeah. And, and that happens with ideas and experiences. And, and finally, and this, this one I, I've learned from being hard on myself as a kid because I had a learning difference and I thought I was an, I was an idiot, um, is that don't let somebody dim your light simply because it's shining in their eyes. Mm. And that happens a lot these days. People, if they don't like somebody, my goodness me, they will say something bad to shut them down. Yeah. And if we believe what people say, yeah. then it's on us. Mm -hmm. Because, you know... Uh, one of the things that I've learned, especially recently, is, you know, only believe only believe half of what you see and nothing of what you read, you know? Yeah. It's um, just, if you believe you are good and you are enjoying what you do, you know, don't let somebody tell you. Interesting, when I was at high school, I wanted to be an artist. Yeah. Um, as you can see, all my cartoons and, and stuff, and I wanted to go to art school. I went to the art teacher and I asked if I could take art as an elective because you needed that to get into art school. Mm -hmm. And he told me I wasn't talented enough. Mm -hmm. He said to me, uh, you're a you know, you do cartoons. That's not art. So I didn't draw uh, probably for 10 years and I've illustrated over 50 books and written 50 books. And I believed him for those 10 years. I believed him when he said I wasn't talented enough. And who is he to have that power? Yes. So, yeah, don't let somebody dim your light because I believe that people, to make themselves feel better, put other people down. That gives them some sense of power and um, some reason to be there, to be judgmental. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, to add on to that, it's really um, a lot of times keep a lot of it to yourself. Um, you know, it's like you have to kind of pick and choose what you say and don't say sure. because of those same things. A lot, You know, you want people to be overly ecstatic or excited about the things you may have going on, but the reality is a lot of times it may not be that way. So, um, you know, you got to kind of pick and choose and a lot of times, you know, pat your own self on the back um, and, and be okay with that. And when you put things out there or release it out there, you know, do it and knowing and being confident enough and saying, it, you know, it's okay. It is what it is. And, and kind of have 
this, like blinders on, if not paying attention yeah, to what's being said one way or the other, um, because it's just the way it is. It is. It is. Isn't it interesting? And, and I'm sure you know this, being being in, in, in the media, being out there where you're putting yourself out by writing, by uh, expressing yourself, by, by having a podcast. We can have 100 comments mm-hmm. under, a, under a podcast or, mm-hmm. under a, or under something we've posted that are great. One person yeah. says something and man, we are all upset yeah. and we're hurt and, and that's what we worry about. Now, forget the other 99 who did great stuff. Yeah. Now we're trying to appease that, that one person. And I, I've learned over time is that um, everybody's got an opinion. You know, I hear people who say they don't like this group or uh, Metallica is better than Megadeth. And I'm like, what do you mean? You can't even compare, you know, things like that. It, it's impossible. But, you know, I wanted to go back a step, if you don't mind. You were talking about um, having to focus on one thing when you write. Now, you've been involved in, in, in public relations and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Copywriting. Yeah. And you probably work on more than one client at a time. I right? do. You might have five or six campaigns that you're working on. Yeah. And you have to share yeah. Between the two. Yes. And I think that's it's such a good exercise. Yes. I actually... Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. So with PR for me, um, yeah, I can be working on seven or eight different projects in one day um, as a publicist wow. and yeah. and shift. And the reality is, is I love it. I love that because I, like you, I get bored. So when I'm yeah. finishing on one client I'm, and I shift gears to the next client for the, that yeah. part of the day, I enjoy working on the next client's component because I'm over that part for that moment of the day for the, yeah. the previous client. When it comes to writing for me, it's very different. For the writing part, I have to really check out. So I've had to, when I've been, during this time of COVID, um, I've been working on a documentary. And so I've had to let my clients know verbally, listen, I'm writing, so I'm not going to be in tune the way I'm usually in tune. So that means if you call me or text me, I'm not available. If I don't answer, I'm not available. But if you, I will get back to it. It may be a day, it may be two days later, maybe because I can't. I can't do the way I, you know, do it the same way. Um, yeah. That's why I asked you that, you know, but when I'm in yeah. PR mode, when I, I'm okay. Yeah. I can shift, 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 you know, look, look, and I'm, I'm moving and shaking. When I'm writing, yeah. very different. I can't be bothered. Yeah. I can't, I can't look at, just looking at the cell phone or a text message takes yeah. me out of character. It, it, yeah. It throws you off. Throws yeah, me completely off. Yeah. Then that's the interesting thing for me, writing and illustrating children's books it is very similar to you doing PR. Because um, you know they're short form, yeah. A lot of them, and the illustrations are just little blips, yeah. That you do, uh, so it is that way. And and you know I I, I think you know getting into in, involved in like writing novels or or, or doing stuff like that. I, I I think I think you would probably have to get into that meditative phase because you you've got to you've got to reach into a part of you that's not just surface yes um and and i think especially writing a documentary you know when you're doing something like that that can affect people's lives so you you have to you have to reach the soul of what you are trying to to share and sometimes that takes a meditation style of work yeah and writing is certainly um meditative for sure yeah, yeah, that's how that's that's me. I'm, I'm I meditate every day. This isn't about me. <laughs> this is about you. So um, I wanted. Let's talk about your daily practice. What is your What is your day to day like? What do you? How do you? What is your morning routine? Uh, so I, I I like getting up really early. There's okay. nothing better than the light of the morning. I love to run, 
and one of my favorite things in the world. And I, I've been traveling a lot over my life. I've, you know, given talks and been in many, many, many countries. And my favorite thing is to run in an empty city at the crack of dawn, like running in Tokyo or London really? or okay. Paris. It is so beautiful. And, you know, you, you, you're running along the streets and there's some old dude sweeping some broken dreams off the sidewalk from the night before. And uh, you know that somebody was sitting on this park bench, you know, sharing love with someone the day before. So it's it's, it's really beautiful. So I like to, to do that. When I immediately wake up, I do a gratitude um, prayer or, or a little meditation, if you like. Just I woke up and I was alive um, and to, to be able to just, you know, give thanks for the fact that I've, I've been chosen to be able to go on for that day. So I do that as I'm surfacing and, uh, you know, just before I, I work out. And normally what I'll do is I, I also I'll grab a cup of tea because I love tea with a little bit of um, little bit of honey and a little bit of creamer or I don't do dairy, but a little bit of something, which is lovely. And I will jot down ideas that have stirred around in my, in my brain from, from, from sleeping. So I do that. And then, um, and then I'll go about my day. If, I, if I'm working on illustrating a book, I will work on those illustrations. Uh, if I'm working on a, a speech I'm giving, I'll work on that. If I'm working on um, a podcast, I'll do that. And, you know, having a, a podcast every two weeks, a lot of people don't realize how, how much work goes into doing a podcast. And my podcast is really storytelling. So I add sound effects and, um, you know, and, and then, but then you've got to go and find the content. So that, so every day is working on something different. And then I do various paintings. And then in the afternoon, um, later in the afternoon, I, I'll, I'll uh, sometimes I'll go and have a swim. I'm lucky that at the moment I'm, I'm in a very place that's very conducive to that. It's, I'm in Hawaii at the moment, which is very nice. Okay. So I'm, I'm able, I'm able to do that. And then, um, that's sort of my day, but it's, but every day is a, is a creative day for me. Uh, I, I, even on Sundays and Saturdays, I don't take off because I love what I do so much. Yeah. I think that's the key, right? Is finding the way, finding a profession where you really love what you do, where it doesn't oh. feel like work, which is, I'm the, I'm the same boat as you. Um, yes. it, it's, it's, like, it's my life. Day, yeah. Somebody the, uh, the other day asked me when I was going to retire. And I said, I'm going to retire when you take the pencil out of my hand and I'm dead yeah. because I, I I love it. And, you know, there's nothing better in the world for me to be able to see a child or hear about a child who's been moved or touched or whose life has been altered because of something uh, that you've put down on paper or that you, you're able to share. And, and you know, quite frankly, uh, I had the, the, the privilege of meeting Nelson Mandela a, a number of years ago. And uh, he, he said that when a person dies, their library of stories dies with them. And unless you share your story through art, through creativity, through music, through dance, somebody else cannot be inspired or learn from all that you've been through in your life. So mm, I say that, that one, more, one more time. Say that I, I got to process that. When someone dies, one more time okay, for me. When a person dies. Yeah. Their library of stories yeah. dies with them. Okay. And unless you should share your story through art, through writing, through dance, through music, mm -hmm. then other people cannot be inspired or learn okay. from what you've been through in your life. 
because everybody's got a story. Yeah, everybody. Everybody has a story. And you know, we we're all so self-absorbed um, that we walking past, we're judging a person, we're looking at them, and we, you know, but that person we could learn from. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things I'm hoping that kids can learn through the the work that I'm doing. Let's talk about your work. So. Um, your book, Connecting with Kids in a Disconnected World. Uh, tell me about that project. So over all these years, I've done a, a lot of work with terminally ill kids. I've seen, uh, I think, 47 or something kids through end of life being there when it's happened. Uh, I've worked in, in refugee camps. I, I worked with former child soldiers in Africa, mm. um, helping them use creativity to express uh, their feelings because of the trauma that they've had. So I've learned to be with kids in really uncomfortable positions and uncomfortable situations. And so I, in the book, just share case histories and my ideas about how people can connect with kids, sometimes with very, very simple things. Uh, you know, when you're talking to a kid about grief, Goodness me, everybody runs away. They, they don't like to talk about that, but how can we give kids the tools to manage it when they get to it unless we discuss stuff like that? So I've taken it upon myself to tackle subjects that most people are afraid of. And, and really the whole, the whole working with kids in tough situations happened once. I, so I would go to the hospital in Austin, Texas, where I was, I was living at the time, and um, they called me the doctor of mischief which is interesting because I would go there and make a lot of trouble uh, for kids, <laughs> just, just have a whole lot of fun. But uh, something happened uh, one day that started my whole volunteering with kids and it's now resulted in my career. Mm. One thing, one little, one little what incident. What was that? Well, uh, I had written a book that I couldn't get published. It was a little kid's book called The Keeper of the Dreams. Okay. Couldn't get that book published. Anyway, went to all the charities in Austin and said, hey, I'll give you the book. It's illustrated for free. You sell it, you can get the proceeds, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody said, mm, what's the catch? I said, no, no catch. Well, there was a little catch. I was trying to get a book published. Yeah. Quite honestly. Yeah. But everybody, you know, and then one, one organization said, yes, we'll take the book. It was the, uh, the Candlelighters Childhood Cancer Foundation. They said, absolutely. So we published the book. They sold it. And we did quite well. We made quite a lot of money for that charity. And one day the woman who ran it said, okay, I'm going to arrange a book signing for you at the hospital to go to the kids with cancer. You wrote the book for them. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I've never met a kid with cancer. I don't know many people. I, I don't want to go there. She said, no, you, you're going. You wrote this book for these kids. You know, you dedicated to them. We're going to do it. So I was like, oh, my goodness. So I said, okay, I would go. But I decided I was going to go into the hospital, read the book to the kids, and get out as soon as possible. Yeah. I was so uncomfortable. Okay. I go to the, the hospital. I was in a playroom. There were about 16 kids there. Yeah. They uh, all had their little IV poles. Yeah. Uh, they were bald from chemotherapy, uh, ranging from about 14 till about 2. And I was nervous. Boy, I got in there, and I just read the book as quick as I could. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm gonna pack, I decide I'm gonna pack up and go there and then because I don't know what else to do. And this little girl puts up her hand and she says, excuse me, can you read it again, please? I'm like, okay. And then 
I ended up reading it seven or eight times because every time I finished, another kid said, oh, can you read that again? And it, it was amazing. We talked afterwards. We had a great conversation. We had a lot of fun. And as I was leaving, got to the door, a little boy, his name was Alex Dunn. He puts up his hand and says, excuse me. I said, yeah. He goes, are you coming back tomorrow? I said, um, yes. And I've been going back for over 30 years to mm. work with kids and be with kids. And that just sort of got the ball rolling. So that, that question, are you coming back tomorrow? let you know it resonated with your spirit to say there's a need for this kids need me they need this message i need to do more absolutely and the story was called the keeper of the dreams and and basically it, it was about uh, a little girl who uh, was doing really well she was playing on the boys basketball team she was just in great playing the piano and one day she couldn't do any of it anymore and her grandpa who lived in an old folks home um told her that she needs to go visit the keeper of the dreams to get her dreams back. And the keeper of the dreams is just this woman up somewhere out there who um, packages dreams for kids. And anyway, she goes to find the keeper of the dreams through uh, the system that her grandpa helps her figure out. But the keeper of the dreams is ill and the boogeyman has given out the dreams and he's giving all the wrong dreams to the wrong kids. And it's how she has to go and face him to get her dreams back because they belong to her. And it's just about facing your fears. And uh, and so basically those kids are all facing fear, fear of not making it. And when I was asked if I would come back, obviously it resonated with them that um, there was a little message in that story that, uh, you know, would, would help them maybe face a, a tough day. So yes, nurtured uh, this little fire inside of me and it's still going. The Washington Post says that watching you with kids is, quote, stunning to watch. Are you walking in your passion right now? Oh, you know, yes. Every single day I wake up and I am so excited about, about doing what I do because we don't realize the powerful impact that the smallest difference, the smallest thing you do, the, the, how it can make the biggest difference in someone else's life. And, and you know, that, that happened to me just through sheer uh, experience. I, I, I was bullied as a kid. I'm small. I'm, I, was, I was hurt a lot. And these two kids would strangle me at school, pull me by my tie. We all had to wear school uniforms in those days. And one day somebody came along and told him to stop. And he happened to be the captain of the football team, the rugby team. And they never bullied me again. Nobody did. And, you know, that little thing that he did was amazing. I wrote him a, a, an email 30 years later. I remembered his name and I found him on Facebook, wrote him an email. And I said, Shane, his name was Shane Carty. I just want to say that one day at the bus stop, these kids were throttling me and I hated going to school. I didn't want to be alive as a kid. And one day you just told them to quit it. And they were so uh, sort of intimidated by him that they did. And I said, I just wanted to thank you. He wrote me back an email. He said, I don't remember it. I don't remember you, but I'm so proud of myself for what I did. And he said, and I just showed you email to my daughters and we all cried. Mm. And the lesson there is that this guy, he just stood up for me. Yes. It took him five seconds. Yeah. What he did altered my life at school. Mm. I, I, at school became cool. I didn't want to, you know, uh, hide and, or hurt myself anymore because, or kill myself because, he, he had actually made it okay. 
And so I realized that it, 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 in my job every day, if I can give a little light to somebody who's having a dark day, then, um, then my day was worthwhile and I feel like my life is worthwhile. Oh, that was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what, someone that's watching or listening to this interview, what would you hope that they take away from this? If there's one thing, one word that comes to your mind, what would that one word be? Well, the word really is kindness. Mm, okay. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, when you are kind to other people, you you feel good. I tell children all the time, if you're sad, depressed, having a really bad day, go and be kind to somebody else. Because when you are, your life becomes more valuable. You feel good. There's a very interesting thing that they call helpers high. When you are kind to somebody, endorphins are released in your body, your cortisol level drops, you actually feel good by being kind. I don't know why more people are not kind. It feels good to give. It feels good to to uh, to make a difference for somebody else. And most of the time, kindness costs nothing. You know, a smile at an old person when you're walking by. My goodness me, spoke to somebody the other day and, and uh, I, I just walked by the guy and I gave him a big smile and he stopped. He said, come here. He said, your smile just made my day. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I just just did it because he looked like a really nice old dude. And so, yes, kindness, kindness, I think, is a superpower. Uh, and everybody has it. We just all haven't learned quite how to use it to its uh, maximum effect. That's, that's so true. Um, I think if, if the world was a little bit more kinder, um, can you imagine the impact and the way people would maneuver? Uh, I think it would be such a big difference. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I want to end with with a segment that I'm calling Tell and Tell, which is a play on the word show and tell. What is something that you can tell our audience that um, we may not know of you, about you? Some sort of secret, if you will. It may be um, maybe your secret to your animation. I know you have an award-winning animated series that's um, been on several numerous PBS shows. Um, do you have a secret in place of how you, how do you know it's a hit? What do you do? Or, you know, do, as you're working on something, do you know this is going to be the one? Um, what goes into the mindset of you and the numerous things, no matter what avenue I'm looking at as I'm researching you, it's award after award after award after award. You are at the top. Um, dive into that for us. Well, first of all, I, I would like to compliment you. That's one of the best questions I've been asked in a very long time. Um, and, I, and I appreciate, uh, appreciate you asking that. I, I do have a secret. It's a little voice in my head. And that little voice, um, I'll, I'll tell you what it says. When I was a young man, I was in the military. And um, we all had to do military training. And one day, just by pure chance, I happened to walk through the children's ward in a hospital, Mm -hmm. visiting a friend who was injured. The room was filled with kids. Some of them had been injured. uh, Some of them were very sick. And as I walked past one of the beds, there were probably three or four kids on that bed. There was just not enough room. Mm -hmm. And as I walked by, there was a little boy sitting on the edge of the bed whose legs were injured. He couldn't have been more than five years old, Mm -hmm. little African boy. And as I walked by, he put his hands up to me and he said in his language, uh, which is actually Afrikaans language, uh, which means, please, can you hold me? 
Now, I'm a soldier uh, thinking that I own the world because I'm wearing a uniform and I'm pretty cool. And I stop in my tracks and I look down at this little boy and he's got the biggest, most beautiful brown eyes. And he reaches up even further and he says to me, home fast? I said, please, can you hold me tight? Mm -hmm. And something happened in the deepest part of my soul. I put on my backpack and I picked up this little boy and he put his arms around me. And quite frankly, I've never been held so tightly in my life. That little boy put his face right here by my neck mm -hmm. and he started to cry. Mm. He was crying so hard. His little body was trembling. And, you know, that little boy's tears mm -hmm. ran down my cheek and my neck and into my shirt mm -hmm. and touched my heart. Mm -hmm. And that's when I knew that there was something that I had to do for the rest of my life. I heard that voice, oh, my fuss, and I hear that voice to this day. And that's the secret. When I'm working on something and I hear that little voice echoing, I know that I'm doing the right thing at that time. And I know that whatever I'm doing is going to be that hug for that little boy or that little girl or somebody who is sick or somebody who doesn't have parents in an orphanage. So um, I keep on hearing that voice. It's my secret little nudge to make me move in the right direction. Oh my God. Well, that secret is amazing. And that nudge is, is has not failed you yet. Um, no. Please keep listening to that because it's, it's, it's leading oh, you in the right way. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I have enjoyed this conversation. I have enjoyed you uh, immensely. This was beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for, for what you're doing. I think it was really important to be able to speak to people and hear, have different people uh, make people realize that they can change the world um, when they get out of their own way. And I know I have to do that often, get out of my own way uh, to be able to be kind and, uh, you know, reach out and give other people part of what you've been blessed with. And that's, that's our job. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I, uh, I can't say it enough. Um, thank you. My pleasure. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of The Journey Told. Um, I'm going to leave you guys with words that I so often say at the end of every episode, and that's to be the best version of you that you can be. Let that sizzle in your spirit. Until next time, folks. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.